And now, proper propaganda. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Some people refer to me as DJ Q Ward. Mm-hmm. That might expire soon. I don't. I hope not. Just, just want to get that out there. I hope not. I saw your laptop. <laughs> Official Sons DJ. Uh, I like that. Once upon a time, we're gonna bring it back. Um, yeah, stick around. We got a lot more show head uh, coming your way. Uh, we're gonna talk about how America views black children. Hmm. Um, Q has black children. I have black children. Our producer, Maggie. She has a black son. His name is Malcolm. He was named after Malcolm X. I happen to know that because she shared it with me. So we're going to talk about our babies, if you don't mind, and uh, try to paint a picture for you. Um, we're also going to talk about our way black history fact, a guy named Whitworth Cheswell, who rode with Paul Revere um, on that famous night. And I'm sure you've heard nothing about him because I certainly didn't. So again, a lot to stick around for. But first, let's discuss how to become a better ally. Shall we? We shall. Um, uh, again, uh, producer Maggie. Maggie be knowing. She be knowing. She wanted us to talk about this one this week, and we loved it. So here we go. Um, this came from the AAWU's website. Uh, we're going to discuss how to be an ally for black women in the workplace. Um, so if you know any black women, if you love any black women, if you love people, you know, because we all got to get there together. You know, don't don't get to the end of your life and find out that a black woman was God the whole time. Don't make that mistake because you might not be too far off. Anyway, here we go. Um, How to be an ally for black women in the workplace. Imagine having to work seven extra months just to earn the same pay as a male co-worker. If you're a black woman in the United States, that's a likely reality. According to the U.S. Census, census, on on average, black women were paid 63 percent of what non-Hispanic white men were paid in 2019. That means it takes the typical black woman 19 months to be paid what the average white man makes uh, in 12 months. That's even worse than the national earnings ratio for all women, 83%, as reported in AAWU's The Simple Truth About the Gender Pay Gap. So what are some things we can do? Um, Help black women feel seen and feel safe. Center black women. And we're talking about the workplace. Be transparent about pay and benefit structures and offer authentic mentorship. That means reveal your salaries to black women. Let them know because they're likely getting paid less than you. Bite the bullet, swallow that ego, let them know. Give uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders the support and resources to create real change and listen to and believe black women. And then finally, ask these two questions first i think that every person should ask themselves how would i feel if i were the only one in the room it's important to do a temperature check and ask the question to black women how are things going and prepare to hear the answer and thoughtfully follow up if there are areas that need to change keep doing that work uh shout out to our producer maggie for bringing that one up to us that one sounded um necessary so that is how you will become a better ally this week now let's talk about our babies um q talk about your babies for a second talking about my babies has become increasingly difficult um in recent years um ramses gave us a new term today he didn't even realize it we simply called this guy our old president i love it 
um, he created a very, very dangerous atmosphere for my children. And I remember during the last administration, a lot of people saying out loud, very proudly, and I think they felt like they were saying something that was right. I'd rather know who these people are. I like these racist, bigoted people being out loud and upfront about it. So at least I know. And I always cringed at that because how you feel is not more important than how you treat me. I don't care how much you hate me or how much you love me. If the way you treat me is the opposite. Hmm. So you hate my guts, but you treat me like gold. And I don't care that you hate me. It does not bug me. It does not disturb me. In the same stead, don't tell me how much you love me while also making me feel like crap. Right. So how you actually treat me means far more than how you actually feel. I liked the America that made racist people feel ashamed that made them feel less emboldened and like they had to pretend to not be that in public. That was a safer place for my children. We got into an atmosphere where the person supposedly responsible for leading our country based his entire political platform on racist divisiveness. Almost his entire campaign on building a wall to keep a very, very specific set of people out of our country. I want to add to that because I want to make sure we tell the full story. Um, I know that that wall was a huge part of his campaign. He had people chanting it all over the country, right? And I know that if you're listening to this and you are a fan of our old president, that you might think, well, he was only trying to keep a certain type of people out from that country, Mexico. But I want you to consider that you might not be Mexican, have Mexican heritage. You know, we live in the Southwest, so there are Mexican. This used to be Mexico, the land that we live on, right? So this is they, their home since the beginning, yes? Um, and we recognize that. And we also recognize how it must feel for someone who's campaigning to be the leader of the free world to frame your lineage, your, your ancestral home as the source of all the things that ail this country and the necessity of building a wall, you know, how that feels. And then, of course, the emboldened people who go to those rallies and those campaigns how they feel like, yes, this is our country and you don't belong here. Go back to where you came from. And so we have always on this show and in our personal lives in the past right now. And until they bury me, they can bury me a few times. I will stand in solidarity with my Mexican brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? I get that this is aired all over the country and that there's other types of Latin, uh, Latin, Latinx people. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up with Mexican folks, you know what I mean? And I, 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 I will never know firsthand what that feels like. But I'm asking you, our listener, 
you know, if you were a fan of our ex-president to just imagine what it felt like to hear that. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. No, you didn't. And it's much closer to home. Yeah. Yeah. Because because my son and my daughter and my sons both and your sons are Mexican and black Mm -hmm. being Mexican and black in this country for the last however many years. Wow. Okay. Now, the reason we're talking about this, the reason we need to talk about this is because there were some videos that were released recently and we couldn't get to them until now. This is sort of the nature of this show. We're very grateful for our one hour per week, um, you know, shout out to our, our new station in, in uh, Indianapolis, shout out to our new station in, in um, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, we're grateful for the growth. We're grateful, you know, but we're only an hour long show. And so we don't get to talk about these things, but this was something that broke our hearts when we first saw it. Um, the headline, you, you, you can look it up. You know, this is radio, so we can't share the video. Um, but uh, the headline is Syracuse police officers detain eight-year-old boy for allegedly stealing a bag of Doritos, right? Now, that headline by itself, officers detain an eight-year-old boy, you know, doesn't sound as bad as some of the other headlines that we read. Um, but when you watch the video, and you see the way that they are handling the body of, an, of a child, a black child. Um, it is deeply unsettling and hurtful. And also, it makes you ponder exactly what we're pondering today, which is how does America view black children? You know, if you were to stop and imagine in your mind, police. You know, we talk about police a lot on this show, (laughs) but imagine police, right? And the police are going to go get the bad guy, right? And then they're going to arrest the bad guy, put the bad guy in handcuffs, put him in the car, take him down to the joint, lock him up in the slammer. Who's the bad guy? Is he an eight-year-old? Is he an eight-year-old white kid? So how come he has to, how come he gets to be an eight-year-old black kid? Why, you know, the trauma, allegedly, by the way, the trauma that this child, and then of course, you know, now we live in a world where everything is filmed and shared or whatever, but the trauma for allegedly stealing a bag of Doritos. Ironic that you point out that everything is filmed. Mm -hmm. That doesn't go away. Please help us. If you can hear our voices, you listen to the show, show us the video of the eight-year-old white kid being treated this way. I'd love to see it, not because I would actually enjoy it, but just the idea that this doesn't happen exclusively to our children. Mm -hmm. If the idea is, well, this kid did this, there has to be some accountability. He has to, you know. The police do this across the board. Sure. It'd be interesting to know that that's the truth. It would still be gross and unacceptable for anyone's eight-year-old to be treated that way. Oh, listen. Now, again, you, our listener, um, if you're just tuning into Civic Cipher, if you're just kind of getting familiar with us, we talked about this stuff. We've been doing this show for a year and a half. 
we've been talking about, we've been talking about police officers arresting children at school. You know, remember the, the black girl in Hawaii? This is why we fought so hard to have a station in Hawaii carry the show. Um, we, you know, there's, there's instances of this happening all the time where we have to talk about our children and how they are treated. Um, it's like black skin immediately gets you an, an extra 10 years of life and you are, and they approach, approach you accordingly, right? You don't have the freedom to make mistakes if in fact you are making a mistake. Um, there is no room for nuance. You know, it's not lost upon me that this black child, you know, we talk about all kinds of systemic issues. We talk about how the wealth moves. We talk about this a lot on the show, right? And I don't know what I don't know, but I will allow for there to be what I don't know. When I look at someone stealing food, it's like the worst thing to me. I remember one time I, I, I saw a post, it might've been on Tumblr. Yes, I'm still on Tumblr. I love that place. Um, and so is Maggie. Shout out to our producer. She's uh, on there a lot too. But I was on Tumblr and I, I came across something someone written and I loved it so much that I shared it on like my Facebook or something. And it says, if you see someone stealing food, no, you didn't. Hmm. Um, and I personally don't have a problem with poor people taking advantage of a system that was designed to fail them because they will never topple it by taking what poor people don't tend to overindulge. They tend to take what they need. I mean, there's some people that will overindulge in an instance, but overall, you know, folks want to make sure that they got a full belly, they're safe, you know, and they have some access to creating some sort of semblance of a happy life. You know what I mean? I think that written into the, the documents of this, founding documents of this country is the right to pursue life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So those are the inalienable rights um, afforded to all human beings endowed with consciousness, I wish, that was, I wish that was how they meant it. Right. And so um, now I know, I know you're listening to me like, oh my God, this guy is super duper bleeding heart liberal. Yes, I am. I believe that human beings deserve to be treated like human beings and not like dogs and not like animals. Um, I don't even believe dogs and animals should be treated bad. And I'm not a fan of dogs at all. Like you had a dog one time and he used to want me to pet it. What was that dog's name? Major. I did not like Major. Major was cool, but I didn't want him around me. Look at my face. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, back to this video. What you see is a child crying. Child um, getting escorted to a police car. Um, and then, of course, a neighborhood around him filming. And then, of course, allegedly stealing a bag of chips. Um, if you are a normal person, who lived a normal life, you may have had an instance in your life when you had to learn the hard way that stealing is wrong. Maybe you've taken something without paying for it. Um, or maybe you just forgot to pay for it. You know, my son, my, my little boy, one time he walked out of the CVS by our house with a, I think it was a monster truck toy. We got in the car, he strapped into the seatbelt and I see him back there playing with the toy. I'm like, where'd you get that from? And I saw the package and he was three. No concept of money. No, con you know, I'm not saying this eight-year-old didn't 
didn't have a concept of money, but you know, it is possible to walk out of a store and not realize that you're still holding something because it's happened. Um, it's also possible to take it deliberately. I'm not going to pretend like that's not a possibility, but again, we're talking about food. We're not talking about someone that ran into a store with a gun, stuck up everybody, stole the money and then left because then it's like, well, you know, the kid robbed the store with a gun, you know, it's dangerous. We got to make sure that, the, you know, he's a wild card. No, stealing a bag of chips. Okay. okay. And again, if that was the only instance we were talking about, that'd be fine. But then there was another instance. This, this video footage was at night and it came from Maplewood, the Maplewood Police Department in Minnesota. And a similar scene, similar scenario, police then releasing another child and people are like screaming in the video, oh, he's a baby, he's a baby. Why are you having, you know, in the car, handcuffed, all this sort of stuff. He's a baby, what are you doing? And uh, you can hear the frustration escalate in the people's voices who are shouting at the police officers. You know, it starts from angry and then it gets to almost uh, uh, like the, the boiling point where, you know, when people's voice changes from angry to like, too angry where they're not even making sense anymore and it feels like they're about to cry you can hear that in the video and it's a lot to to deal with because again my brain tells me okay so if we change one thing about the scenario we just change the color of their skin does this play out the same way and unless I'm wrong, unless there's videos out there to the contrary, you know, and, and a good amount, because there's these stories we've been told for, for many years, then it feels like this is something that happens almost exclusively to melanated individuals. Do you understand how many videos would be public information if the contrary happened? Think about how many people would stand to gain from proving that point <laughs> yeah most of the people in power in our society yeah, they would, they would love, love to that furnish those videos to be true yeah it's not the just the fact right. that we never see them is enough evidence for me to know that it at least almost never happens, happens. sure and i think we're making the same point now uh i am a fan of wu-tang right um, I grew up listening to the Wu-Tang Clan and had all the individual solo albums. There goes the W, I see you too. Woo, right? Um, and if you're listening to us on a hip-hop station, perhaps you are familiar with the Wu-Tang Clan as well. Um, and if not, you need to get familiar. Wu-Tang is for the kids. Um, I can't remember whose album it was because I'm going all the way back to, you know, ninth grade on this one. But there's a song with an intro to the song, right? And it's a skit from a movie. Um, again, I don't know the movie that it was sampled for the album, which is where I know it from. Which was again, which, which one which happened all the time in Wu Tang albums. Yeah, by that, the way. that's what they did. They sampled from, of course, you know, kung fu movies, and then they sampled from you know movies that you know sort of black exploitation, just hood movies. Do you know what I'm saying? So, in this skit that. Uh, precedes the song 
um, there's a, a child who's imprisoned, right? And this imprisoned child starts talking to another child. And he says, hey, boy, how old are you? And the boy says, 13. And then the, the first child says, 13. Man, them cops must be running out of inwards to arrest, right? So that album was, shoot, that would have been in the 90s when I was listening to that one. And it probably sampled something from the 70s, right? So what I'm, the reason I'm telling that story is because I want you, our listener, to understand that long before there were cameras filming police interactions with Black children, um, this was very much a part of Black life. In fact, it wouldn't be surprising to learn that a 12-year-old, 13-year-old was arrested, being tried as an adult. Um, Brian Stevenson, who's, I'm a big fan of Brian Stevenson. He's the, uh, the leader of the uh, Equal Justice Initiative. Someone who, if you're a fan of this show, please look him up. That is a man doing tremendous work. Again, Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, what he does is he tries to get wrongful convictions overturned. He's a lawyer. Um, there's a movie about him starring Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. And I forget the name of the movie, but if you look up <laughs> Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, you'll find it actually. Uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan actually plays Brian Stevenson in that movie. Um, if you could find out for me, uh, Maggie, I'd appreciate it. But so. Um, yeah, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, uh, Brian Stevenson. Anyway, uh, a big part of his life's work is dedicated to, you know, working with criminals with wrongful convictions. And so he has to confront these alarming statistics. You know, how often are children sentenced to die in prison in the United States? Uh, thank you. Uh, the movie's called Just Mercy. Um, see, she'd be knowing. Anyway, um, so if you want some entertainment and a, and a bonus Baba, become a better ally, check out that movie, Just Mercy, again, starring Brian Stevenson and uh, um, Samuel L. Jackson and Jamie Foxx. Uh, but also look up Brian, Steven, him, Brian Stevenson himself, the actual man, because uh, a lot of his work, he has a TED Talk that I'm a big fan of as well. A lot of his work will really illuminate um, how the criminal justice system from policing to imprisonment um, and, you know, judges and, you know, uh, uh, prosecutors and all the sort of stuff that goes along with it, how they interact with black youth and how it's exceptionally unfair. And you're almost you're like fighting a losing battle uh, from the beginning. In fact, to prevail, um, if if you if in fact you're innocent, to prevail is extremely diff difficult. You would think your innocence would be enough and it just isn't. Um, you actually need people to help you despite you being innocent in, in a lot of the cases that, you know, he works to overturn. I <clears throat> posted a picture of my son once hmm. back when we first started doing this show hmm. and the comments on that picture made me well up with pride and joy and love. Uh, Cause even, you know, complete strangers telling me how beautiful my kid was. Um, it's a sad truth that as I watch him grow, I have to wonder at what point they stop thinking he's beautiful 
and they start thinking he's scary. That's deep. That's real deep. But this is our reality, and uh, welcome to it. <laughs> All right, now uh, we're going to move on to our Way Black History Fact. Um, this one is sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly Magazine. Uh, our Way Black History Fact today comes from the New England Historical Society. We're going to discuss Wentworth Cheswell, the black man who rode with Paul Revere. Wow. Um, I'll read. In the middle of December 1774, messengers on horseback carried news to the people of New Hampshire's seacoast. Two British warships were headed to Newcastle to reinforce Fort William and Mary. Uh, the messengers or dispatch riders helped organize the resistance. One messenger was Paul Revere and one was Wentworth Cheswell. Revere made quite a few rides before war broke out and so did dozens of dispatch riders before and during the American Revolution. As part of the Secret Patriot Network, the writers shared intelligence about the enemy and communications between the colonial provisional governments. Wentworth Cheswell took a number of rides like Revere. He volunteered to serve in the military and fought at Saratoga. He was also considered New Hampshire's first archeologist and the first African-American elected to public office in the United States. Boom. Wentworth Cheswell was born on April 11th, 1746 to a biracial father, Hopstill Cheswell, and Catherine Kiniston, who was white. Hopstill was the son of a white woman and an enslaved black man. Richard Cheswell, under the laws of the day, Hopstill's status followed the mother, making him free. Eventually, Hopstill's father bought his freedom and in 1717 purchased 20 acres of land in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Richard's land purchase is considered the first by an African-American in New Hampshire. Hopstill, a housewright and a carpenter, built the John Paul Jones House in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, as well as the Samuel Langdon House, now in Sturbridge, Sturbridge Village. Um, some of these places I've actually been to. <laughs> he also built the Bell Tavern. Um, Hopstill, still, uh, Hopstill earned enough money to send Wentworth to Governor Dummer Academy in Byfield, Massachusetts. Wentworth took advantage of his unusual education privilege and worked as a schoolmaster in Newmarket. By the time he reached 21, he owned more than 30 acres and a pew in the meeting house. At 21, he married 17-year-old Mary Davis Durham of New Hampshire, and they had 13 children. Their descendants identified as white, and the census listed Cheswell as white. Record of, records of comments by his contemporaries suggest they viewed him as biracial. In 1768, 22-year-old Wentworth Cheswell won elected one election as town constable. George Mason University determined that made him the first African-American elected to public office. Cheswell beat out Vermont Alexander Twilight for the honor. For all but one year of his life, Cheswell held public office, including town selectman, assessor, scrivener, uh, justice of the peace, and auditor. I don't know every word. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, his civic involvement included founding the Newmarket Societal Library with several other men and bequeathing his books to it. He also won elections as town messenger for the Committee of Safety, which meant he had to carry news to and from the Patriot Committee of Correspondence in Exeter. Uh, for several years, New England colonists had risen up in sporadic violence to protest Parliament's taxation and restrictions. Boston had its Tea Party, 
Providence, it's Gatsby Affair, and New Hampshire, it's Pine Tree Riot, to name a few. In the fall of 1774, the British government grew concerned about the rebellion then developing, and so it secretly banned the export of munitions to the American colonies. Redcoats, uh, those are the uh, British, I want to say. Um, also seized gunpowder in Charleston, Massachusetts. In September, uh, Boston's Patriot leadership knew that only a few dozen, a few soldiers guarded Fort William and Mary. They believed British troops and ships would sail to New Hampshire and secure the fort. And they fought the gunpowder and weapons at the fort would, sorry, they thought the gunpowder and weapons at the fort would serve a more useful purpose in Patriot hands on December 13, 1774. Paul Revere rode the 66 miles to Port Portsmouth with the letter from Boston's Committee of Correspondence to its counterparts. The letter advised them to seize the weapons and gunpowder at the fort before the British warships arrived. This is sort of the British are coming, the British are coming that we all know from history. Um, Portsmouth mustered volunteers for an assault the next day on the British soldiers who guarded the fort. The men of Newmarket, strongly, a strongly patriotic town, wanted to take part in the attack as well, but where and how? Wentworth Cheswell then rode to Exeter to find out from the Committee of Correspondence where the Newmarket volunteers should go. The next day, 400 New Hampshire men marched on the fort and forced it to surrender. They took 100 barrels of gunpowder, light cannon, and small arms. The ships never arrived, but the Patriots used gunpowder and weapons in the siege of Boston. That's some American history for you right there. All right, almost done here. Um, some people claim Cheswell rode north from Boston on April 18, 1775, alerting the countryside of the British attack, even as Revere did the same riding west. Local histori historian Rich Alpertine, however, said there's no evidence Cheswell ever made that ride. Cheswell did enlist in Colonel John Langdon's company of light horse volunteers and fought at the Battle of Saratoga. When he finished his military service, returned to Newmarket, where he ran a store next to a schoolhouse. As a prosperous, well-educated citizen, he continued his leadership of the town. When he realized that Newmarket's town records might disappear, he copied them all by hand in a journal. Newmarket Historical Society now holds them. The Massachusetts Historical Society holds another document written by Cheswell, a letter sent to the Reverend Jeremy Bel Belcap, or Belknap, sorry. The letter contains descriptions of artifacts left by indigenous people that Cheswell recovered around Newmarket. Belknap included the information in his history of New Hampshire, and Cheswell earned the distinction as New Hampshire's first archaeologist. Three years later, Wentworth Cheswell's name surfaced on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Uh, Senator David Morrill of New Hampshire rose to speak about the Missouri Compromise, which forbade biracial people from obtaining citizenship in Missouri. Um, quote, in New Hampshire, there was a man by the name of Cheswell, who, with his family, were respectable in point of abilities property and character, end quote, Morrill said. Quote, he held some of the first offices in the town in which he resided, was appointed justice of the peace for the county, and was perfectly competent to perform with ability of all the duties of various offices in the most prompt, accurate, and acceptable man manner. But his family are forbidden to enter and live in Missouri, end quote. So now we have a little bit more way black history. Uh, the man that also helped Paul Revere uh, save this country and warn everyone that the, the British were coming and fortify our forces to um, deal with that uh, attack. It's a black man by the name of Wentworth Cheswell. It's incredible that throughout the history of our country, no matter how great your accomplishments, 
it was not only not something that happened, but illegal <laughs> to treat black people as people. Amen. Well, we know that it's important to deal with that. And we have the time and the space and the microphones. And so we do. Um, but that's it for us today. So we'd like to thank you all for tuning in to Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and we can't thank you enough. Be sure to hit the website, civiccipher.com. Download this and any previous episodes uh, and submit your topics, anything you want us to talk about. Um, we are here for you. This is our show, the same as it is yours. Uh, if you'd like to make a donation, the show obviously is growing. Thank you to all of you who support uh, through, through Patreon or through the website. Um, we are going to continue growing. More stations to announce very soon. Um, follow us on all social media at Civic Cipher, C-I-V-I-C-C-I-P-H-E-R. And, oh, show produced by producer Maggie. Maggie be known. She be known. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this. We kick finance.